You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. summer here in New York City, but also finishing our series called The Path. And as we've gone through the last couple of weeks, sort of talking about and dissecting what does it look like to be on many different places in our spiritual journey. Some of us are maybe at a place of deconstruction. Some of us come to forefront very constructed with beliefs and maybe kind of curious about exploring different beliefs. Some of us come to the forefront having constructed a new belief system and figuring out a new worldview. We're all at different places on the journey. And so today, as we wrap up the series, I really want to give some practical um, steps and tools that may help us, and for those of us who are at the place in the journey of needing to reconstruct our faith um, and what that looks like, or also those who are at the place in the journey who are grieving the faith that they left behind and kind of unsure and skeptical and uncertain of what they want to be the next part and version of their faith. And so that's kind of what we're going to dive in today in this series And I'm going to borrow from Father Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan monk, and Brett, I know that you're over there super excited about that. Um, He is an author, but also he is many, very many ways, he is a forefather of the progressive Christian movement today, setting a tone and giving language for this. He's got really great devotional, you can always Google him, Father Richard Rohr, um, and he really gets a, I get a great devotional from him every morning via email that really causes me to think deeply about things that maybe I haven't thought about in that way before. But he describes our journey or our path or perhaps the valley as we sang about in our songs today that we're journeying through as this. It begins with order. Order is the first stage of a healthy development. To continue growing though, we must go through a period or many periods of disorder. The pattern of transformation involves at least some measure of suffering, and part of us has to die if we are ever to grow larger. If we're not willing to let go of our smaller selves, our norms, our beliefs, and and our preferences, we won't be able to enter into the more expansive and inclusive space of reorder. What did he just say? Right? Let me just really quickly define this. Richard Rohr basically says that all all of our journeys through life, all of our spiritual journeys, they begin with order, They go to disorder, and then they go to reordering. And often, sometimes, there can be large intervals of time in between all of those, of this sort of like sitting in this liminal space as you transition from one to the other. But that is the secular cycle that Rohr says that we all take on our spiritual journeys. We begin with this place of order, often put together by our parents, our pastors, um, sometimes by our teachers throughout grade school, elementary school, high school. Then there comes a point of disorder. Often that's invoked by some type of suffering or perhaps you identify with a marginalized group and a certain place or point in the world all of a sudden doesn't align with what has been taught to you as normal in the world. Or perhaps it's professors that stretch your mind or relationships or questions or doubt. Something disorders our lives. And then after the disorder happens, then there is the work and the invitation of the reorder. Now if you remember on Easter, if you were with us, um, I know that feels so long ago, but I, I deconstructed a Jenga tower on the stage, and it fell. You might raise your hand and go, whoo-hoo, if you remember that. I don't know why we did hoo-hoo, but it was fun. It was better than amen. Um, wasn't it kind of fun? It was kind of fun. Maybe that's what we could usher in for the next 500 years. 
Um, so it is really beautiful image, right, of this deconstruction. And I said when the Jenga tower fell, which is supposed to be an image of the construction of our beliefs, many of us know how to just sort of sit with the rubble and we're like, I really don't want to play a second game of Jenga because like building that tower kind of stinks. And so we just sort of sit with our beliefs. We know what we don't believe, but we have no idea what we do believe. Many of us are invited to reorder, but the work is just so exhausting, so scary, so unknown, that oftentimes I said, we don't need to necessarily do the work to rebuild the whole Jenga tower. We just need to make a path with the bricks. Just something enough to stand on and walk on to take the next step of your journey. So the work of reordering. Order, disorder, reorder. This requires us, the reordering work, it requires us to let go of old held beliefs, to work really hard to find new ones, catch this, to prize principles over preferences. As an interdenominational church, we have to live into this, right? Because there's going to be Sundays when there's songs, or there's speakers, or there's communion practices, or there's beliefs that are expressed that we're like, I don't really agree with that. I don't really like that. That's not really my thing. That's fine. Welcome to Forefront. Because here, we prize, um, remember what I said? Principles, Principles over preferences. Principles over preferences. We're often united by our values and less by our shared beliefs. Underneath our values are a wide spectrum of belief and thought. We reorder our lives at some point in order to be more authentic to ourselves as well to the God that we truly want to worship and believe. This is often described as construction, deconstruction, reconstruction, right? And honestly, this process of order, disorder, and reorder, this is the normal Christian life. It's not some unique thing just for progressives or that like it, no one else has to do it and it's never happened before and it's brand new. Eh, wrong. Not how it works. Sorry. Proof? Let me show you. Watch out this slide. So this slide sort of walks through, uh, in many ways, I think what we can see is this sort of same cadence throughout Scripture. Order, disorder, reorder. We see this in the Garden of Eden from the fall to the expectations and striving towards paradise to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We see this in the Psalms. A lot of the Psalms that are written, they start with this disorientation or this, I'm sorry, an orientation and then a sort of a disorientation and then a reorientation. That's why sometimes when you read the Psalms, you're sort of like, wow, this person's emotions are all over the place. Often the Psalms were not written at one time. They are written over long periods of time and compacted into this beautiful poem to tell a journey and a story of someone's wrestling with their faith, to offer wisdom. And that's why sometimes you see in the book of Proverbs where it will say, like, don't answer a fool to his folly. Answer a fool to his folly. What? <laughs> right? It's because these folks are saying there are situations when you need to do certain things differently. You need to use wisdom in certain situations and certain people. Some things in Scripture we've often said that they are prescriptive when in reality they are just descriptive. We have to realize that scripture has this sort of cadence. We think about this idea of order, disorder, and reorder when we think about Jesus' life, crucifixion, and resurrection. We think about this when we think about the disciples, their beginning of curiosity, and then all of a sudden they're going through a stage of doubt, and then all of a sudden they go to a stage of conversion, of change of thought and belief, and we see them living out their faith very different than how they've been taught in Judaism as children. We see this as well with the talk a few weeks ago with the Apostle Paul being strong in his convictions and then all of a sudden he went through a stage of doubt and disillusionment and then transformation. Do you see the cycle? The cycle of order and disorder and... Good job. <laughs> Jesus used this method also on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Have you, have you, you know, you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus often says this thing that it's sort of like, for me, is my, my, my grounding in my belief that it's okay to change my belief from what I was taught or how I understood something before. He says this, and many times in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And I've had so many conversations with people in my life who said, now I know you've heard it said, I know you taught me, I know that you've heard it said your whole life this way, but let me tell you something. When I see the scriptures, I see it this way. This is exactly what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount with the Israelites and with, and with other Jews as, as they're gathering to sit at his feet and to learn the teachings. He's taking the order and he is disordering it and then he's creating a new order to it. Perhaps maybe the original intent of the order all along that got disordered along the way. Check out some of these moments where he does this. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, he says, you've heard it said... Uh, from, from the people long ago. <laughs> you ever heard that? <laughs> We've always done it this way. You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I wonder if Jesus here is getting, trying to get to the heart of it, going like, you all focus so much on the anger, but, but really, we fo- or, I mean, you focus so much on the murder, but really, let's, let's get to the whole thing that led you to the murder. It's anger. Anger that's left undealt with un- is, harbors into unforgiveness, which then harbors into bitterness, which then harbors into rage, which then leads to murder. Jesus is like, you're, you're missing the whole heart of the message of why I'm saying don't murder. You probably need to, murder is the end result, but it begins all the way back here with anger that is dealt with with unforgiveness. You don't believe me? Well, then look at the next part, the stuff he says in this Sermon on the Mount. Verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He's taking these ancient listeners and he's disordering the way that they had understood and ordered the world. They had understood the world to be punitive. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You do this, I'm going to do this to you. We're even, all's good. Let's walk our separate corners. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're losing the whole point. My heart is always restorative. It's not just that, okay, well, now we're both blind, great. It's Wow, you made me blind. Let me open my eyes and figure out why you did that to me. Let me figure out a way in order to extend grace. And maybe I can forgive you and you can guide me around. Maybe there's a way to restore this relationship. Maybe it's not just this sick cycle of an eye for an eye and it just never gets any type of resolution, any type of solution. It's just constant revenge over and over again. Jesus is getting to the heart of something. Let me explain. When I think about this, this particular part, I think about my relationship with my father, which is extremely complicated. I know I've shared that many times in this space. And I often have to ask myself, with my dad, who, who struggles with alcoholism, am I choosing to not call my dad on this day or invite him to something like, say, our wedding? Or am I choosing to not extend um, a listening ear to my father because I'm trying to punish him for the pain and suffering he's put me through? Or am I trying to actually protect myself and create a boundary? It's a fine line. And there are many times when I have to stop and I have to ask myself, and I've had to do that with the wedding, that Austin and I are getting married in like 40-some days, something like that. (laughs) See, they they did it. They did it again. Um, And I've had to kind of ask myself several times, like, okay, do, do I want my dad at my wedding? What will that look like? And so I've had to have conversations around like, you're welcome at the wedding, but if you drink or you get drunk or any way, you'll be dismissed. And that was a hard line for me to figure out and come to. 
because there's a part of me that really wants to hurt him, that wants to say, no, you, you missed so much in my life, so I'm going to make you miss this thing that you want to be at, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I have to remember the words of Jesus here, and I have to remember a step back and go, the boundaries that I create, which ones are to hurt him and which ones are just to protect myself from further hurt? There is a fine line. And I believe Jesus is calling us to that in this moment. And Jesus is calling them to that on the Sermon on the Mount to get to the heart of the motive of what's going on inside of us. Forgiveness looks in many different ways. It takes many different forms. And Jesus was disordering and reordering this order that had been created for them. And, and early hearers of what Jesus was saying on the Sermon on the Mount, it would have absolutely upended their worldview and their ideas. It's just as like many of you who have maybe have heard different interpretations of Scripture, and it sort of disorders and kind of upends the way you've been taught something. This is the normal Christian movement. This is the normal Christian cadence of life, this sort of continual cycle. So with that before us, I want to ask you to sort of consider five things that I have done to help sort of reorder my life or reconstruct my faith. Um, I talk with people all the time, particularly here at Forefront, but definitely in the last couple of congregations I have served, that are like, how did you put your faith back together? Also, why? (laughs) And and how did you stay in the church after all the, you know, hoopa they they put me through? Why? I looked around to see a little baby, and I thought I'd better watch it. Um... (laughs) And I, I've, I've really wrestled with that, and I thought, you know, I often don't give people, like, the most practical of advice. I sort of like, oh, it's a journey, it's a path, you just have to go on it, and, like, like maybe, like, read a book, like, here's a great podcast, and, and, and I'm like, oh, that's such, like, a stupid answer. Like, that's not helpful. Um, and, and what works for me may not work for you, and that's okay, and I hope that you'll stay after for the sermon description, because I would love for folks to share what's maybe helped and worked for them. But I do want to share some things that have been good for me and helpful for me. And, and so maybe you'll glean from that, and maybe that will be useful to you wherever you are in your journey, even if it's a low valley. Um, so the first thing that, I, that I, I want to recommend and throw out is I spent a season grieving the disorder. I spent a season grieving the disorder. I spent one year not pastoring at all. And I worked as, at a high school in a building, as a building sub. I hated the job. All I wanted to do was pastor again. But I knew I needed a time and a period in my life where I could just be Josh without any expectations of anybody needing me to be Pastor Josh to them. Where I needed nobody, I didn't need to live with the expectation that somebody needed me or wanted me to be something for them that I just wasn't sure if that's who I wanted to be in that season. Now, for those of you who are parents and have kids, that's a hard place to be, right? Because you have to be somebody for that child. As you figure out what you think, you have trying to figure out how you're going to form this human. That's a tough place. I just want to name that. That's hard. And I had the privilege of taking that moment, to take that pause. I would often attend a church when I wanted to, not because I was supposed to. Now, because I'm I'm a preacher, I went a lot of Sundays, (laughs) uh, because I really love it and I enjoy it. But I also spent time saying no to any serving opportunities for a year, because I was trying to reorient myself to not serving people, but being served as I figured out my faith without expectations. I spent a year just grieving basically a sex life that I felt like I had lost. I grieved relationships that I never was able to have when all my other friends were starting to get married and have their first kid and I feel like I'm late to the game. I grieved 
beliefs that I've ta- were taught to me that actually made me hate myself instead of love myself, which made me unable to love other people because I could only love people by the measure by which I'd been loved. I grieved the disorder. The second thing I did was I found new voices to listen to. So I read books and blogs and listened to podcasts. <laughs> and here's a couple uh, or a list of books um, that, I li- that I read that were really helpful for me that I just want to throw out there. And, and I'll be sure to sh- we'll share these resources um, this week on social media and so forth. But one of the books that I read was called What is the Bible by Rob Bell? And so um, we're going to be starting a new group called Reconstruct in September. Um, and I'm going to just sort of walk us through this book. It's just going to be a five-week, uh, five-week group um, of what is the Bible. Because here's the thing. For me, figuring out what I thought about this book that had told me how to live my whole life was the like, base importance of figuring out what I thought about this faith. I needed to figure out like, what role that book was going to play in my life and how much value I was going to give to it and how I needed to read it. And so I needed to figure that out before I figured out what I thought about all these things I was taught. I had to rethink of a new idea to think about the Bible. And so um, I'm going to invite anybody who wants to join that group. Um, would love to have you do that. On the ForefrontNYC.com slash groups, you can find the Reconstruct group. You can join it. Um, we have not picked a date to meet yet because we're going to pick the date that meets that's the best for the most amount of people who join the group. So once everybody gets in the group, sometime after Labor Day, I'll send an email out and um, we'll find a good date. But I hope you'll be in that group. I'm super excited. Um, it'll be, what's the name of that neighborhood? Right near Crown Heights, yes. Um, it's not Crown Heights, but it's right next to it. It's like Kissing Cousin. Um, then the other book that I read that was super, super helpful is God in the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. Um, another one was Rescuing Jesus, How People of Color, Women, and Christians Are Reclaiming Evangelicalism. Um, there's a several other books that you'll see pop up, and I encourage you to, to write them down and, and look through them and read through them. Um, I guess I will just mention one more, which was uh, Love Wins. Um, those of you who may be wrestling with, like, Ideas of, like, is there a hell? Is there a heaven? Do we have to, have, you know, say a sinner's prayer in order to, to get there um, or to have a relationship with Jesus? That was a great book. That really helped me deconstruct and reconstruct some new views. Then some podcasts that I've listened to, uh, The Bible for Ordinary People, um, Code Switch on NPR, um, The Savage Lovecast, Evolving Faith, and The Liturgist. Those have all been things that are really, really formative. I don't listen to all of those anymore because I'm actually, this is a different point on my path. Some of those just aren't beneficial for me anymore. But they were at one point in my journey, and they may be for you if you were in that same place where I was. Um, also, uh, I also attended a lot of different groups uh, at church and online groups that had to do with topics and issues that maybe I had been taught things that I thought, I need to just, let me just hear another side. Let me just hear another perspective. It doesn't mean I have to believe it, but let me just hear it. Um, and that was very mind-expansive. And then the, other, the last thing that was really huge about hearing other voices was when I was attending the Methodist church uh, back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the pastor one day said to me, Josh, we're getting ready to do an anti-racism training as a church, and I think you should come. And I said, excuse me? I am not a racist. And he said, and that's why you need to be at the training. And I said, well, how expensive is this? And he said, well, we'll pay for half and you'll pay for the other half. I said, so you want me to pay half for a training I don't think I need to go to? And he said, honestly, he says, Josh, you go to the training, and if... If you think that at the end of it, you just shouldn't have gone through it, I'll give you all your money back. And I'll pay you the part that I paid the company to do it. And I was like, I could get paid to go to this retreat? Like, I'll do that. That sounds great. This is where I was. I didn't even believe racism existed. I told people I was colorblind. That's the opposite of, woo. Uh, yeah, just, mm. yeah, 
and so I went. This thing wrecked my worldview. It wrecked my mind. It wrecked the way I saw myself and the world and structures that I was lived in, that I lived in. And I, I, I will never be able to see the world again. I had to go through it a second time because I couldn't even process the second half of it because my mind was churning from the first half of it. And I've spent several years reading books still trying to understand the things I missed from the training. Guess what? We're going to do the same thing here at Forefront. Uh, we're getting ready to do an anti-racism training. You can save the date, October 21st and 22nd. Um, and I hope that you will be here and it's going to be free to you. Um, but there will be a great cost that you will pay because it will disorder your mind. But it will be an invitation to reorder your mind in the world to be a better place for the next 500 years. I hope you'll be a part of it. It changed my life. It was the gospel in a way I had never heard it before. And it disordered and reordered something in me because all of our freedom is caught up in one another's. The third thing, <clears throat> sorry. Lots of memories. And the third thing that I did was I prioritized my mental health. Um, I got a therapist, and I went to her twice a week for two years, and it was expensive. <laughs> but the first time I went to her, she's like, you are our candidate for intensive therapy. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, what, why? I feel, I feel fine. She's like, that's what they all say. And so I did, very committed, very faithful. I went, I didn't like her uh, at all, but... Uh, but that's when you know you have a good therapist. Because uh, I was like, she just pushed me and she did not tolerate me and she called me on my BS all the time. And it was good. We did good work. Uh, and then I also got a spiritual director. If you've ever heard of that before, I'm not sure. But it's often um, well, cheaper than a therapist, but they often focus on, sort of your, on, on a spiritual lens of working through trauma as well as spiritual goals for you. Um, this is often a thing that's done in the mainline traditions, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, and things like this. Glad to give you recommendations if you think that's something that interests you. Um, also... Um, I've also just continually surrounded myself with mentors, and I always think a pastor needs a pastor, and so people who will pastor me as well. Um, I have several recommendations I wanted to give of therapists in, in, in the area, um, some that I know of, but some that were also just given to me by folks that are trusted here at the church, including the care team and the pastoral team. And so if, if you're looking for a therapy, um, many of these are sliding scales, some of these take insurance, um, all these sort of different options. I did want to share this with you as, as, a, as a great resource of places that we know are affirming, um, and, and actively anti-racist, and, and will do the great work with you of working through um, the disorder and the reorder. The fourth thing that I did was I chewed on the meat and I spit out the bones after all of this. I, I invited the voices, I did the therapy, I went to trainings, I, I, I grieved the disorder, and then I decided, here's the meat, and <laughs> I spit out the bones. And I said, and the fat. And I said, I'm done with it. And this is, this is what I'm holding on to from what I used to believe and what I used to be a part of, and I'm going to leave the rest behind. And I think that's really important because so many of us just want to throw it all away instead of picking it out and going, no, oh, there's actually some good stuff in here. And that's why I love Forefront is because we are a conglomerate of so many different Christian traditions that all took some meat with us and came back to this body to put some meat on these bones and to make something new again and to bring the body of Christ back to life. We are doing that work. And the fifth thing that I did was I, cho I chose new core values. Um, first, I had to better define what Scripture meant to me and its role in my life. But then, as you've heard me talk about over and over again at nauseum, probably, I invited the Wesley Quadrilateral to speak into my life 
And so I just said, I cannot allow just scripture to define my life. I have to allow tradition, reason, and experience to inform my life. And this is the teachings of John Wesley, who said you cannot just allow scripture and scripture alone to inform you. You have to allow all of these things to shape you. And so I allowed my new beliefs, my new values to be formed by all of those. And I'll tell you this, the last two things that I really had to work through that were at core at my being was I had to form a new sexual ethic because I had, what I had been taught in evangelicalism did not work for me as a gay man. And I couldn't figure out why. Well, it's because the patriarchy doesn't exist there as much. And, and so I had to really figure out and restruct. And so I just wanted to share with you, I wrote this uh, last week, The Four C's of a Healthy Sexual Ethic, uh, a blog on, uh, on our church's page. And basically, this is my work of the last seven years of really digging in and trying to figure out how am I going to live in my body and how am I going to treat other people's bodies. Um, and this was really important work for me because I had been taught to believe that my body was inherently bad. And I have grateful to have come to a place where I can realize my body is not bad. Sometimes the things I do in my body and sometimes the things that have been done to my body are bad. But my body is not bad. And when you come to the belief that your body is just inherently bad and evil and you are just a wretched, terrible person, at your core, you have to do that work because it will inform everything else that flows out of it. So as I invite the worship team to come and we end this morning's message, I invite you to consider these five things. And I invite you to consider the way in which you're being invited this morning to reorder the disorder in your life. And that may just be grieving for a while. But I want you to think about it in this way, and I want to leave you with this final image. When I first met Austin, you know, he's, he's ripped. <laughs> you know. I kind of love that. And I thought, you know, maybe I need to get, you know, more fit as well and, and, and I'd better take my fitness and my health better. And so I thought, what do you, you know, where do you go? What do you do? And he's like, I go to CrossFit. I'm like, that sounds easy. And so <laughs> we went to CrossFit together. And we got to CrossFit and we're doing all these stretches. The guy's telling us, you know, stretch this, stretch that. I was in so much pain because I had not worked out since I was like 12 and, and I did not know what was happening. And I, and I, I honestly, I, I'm like, this is like the worst workout ever. Like, when is this over? I'm looking at the clock. It's just time is going slow. And then the guy's like, all right, that was uh, the stretches for the workout. And I'm like, that was the stretches. He's like, the workout for this morning is here on the wall, and you'll do this for the next hour. And I was like, what? Well, I, I, I thought that was it. I, I can't do it anymore. Like, this is, this is, that's my limit. I've hit the wall. And Austin's like, let's do this, man. Let's get, we got it. And I'm like, we don't have this. You have this. And I, and I always think about that now, and I think about how that's such an interesting parallel to our spiritual journeys. When we first start out, it's just like, man, this is exhausting, and this is like a really tough, this is very stretching, and this is very uncomfortable, and, and, and I don't know if I can go to the next stint of the journey. I made it through that first workout, and then I made it through the next two weeks, and then the pandemic hit, and I got out of it. <laughs> you still tried to do CrossFit at home. Um, and I want to invite you this this morning that be uncomfortably be stretched. Come to the anti-racism training. Sign up for a group this fall. Go to that therapist that you've been afraid to. Walk into that church. It doesn't have to be this church that you were unsure of that maybe you want to try something new. Be stretched. 
Because it is a long, it is a hard journey, but it is worth it. And on the other end, there is something great. There is a healthier you. Be stretched, for it is in that place that you will meet a reordered you. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.